Greetings and salutations. I am Ken Barrios, your success coach. I hope you unleash your talents and maximize your impact without compromising your time. It is my pleasure to read the 16 Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill, written in 1928 and now public domain. My hope is that you will take from these small segments of reading the insight and wisdom of a philosophy that has over a hundred years of practical experimentation. With that said, let us begin. Today, we continue with Major Bach's speech. You will find many times, especially in action, that after having issued your orders to do a certain thing, you will be beset by misgivings and doubts. You will see or think you see other better means for accomplishing the object sound. You will be strongly tempted to change your orders. Don't do it until it is clearly manifested that your orders were radically wrong. For if you do, you will be again worried by the doubts as to the efficacy of your second orders. Every time you change your orders without obvious reason, you weaken your authority and impair the confidence of your men. Have the moral courage to stand by your order and see it through. Moral courage further demands that you assume the responsibility for your own acts. If your subordinates have loyally carried out your orders and the moments you directed as a failure, the failure is yours, not theirs. Yours would have been the honor had it been successful. Take the blame if it is result in disaster. Don't try to shift it to the subordinate and make him the goat. That is a cowardly act. Furthermore, you will need moral courage to determine the fate of those under you. You will frequently be called upon for recommendations for promotion or demotion of officers and non-commissioned officers in your immediate command. Keep clearly in mind your personal integrity and the duty you owe to your country. Do not let yourself be deflected from a strict sense of justice by the feelings of personal friendship. If your own brother is your second lieutenant and you find him unfit to hold his commission, eliminate him. If you don't, your lack of moral courage may result in the loss of valuable lives. If, on the other hand, you are called upon for a recommendation concerning a man whom, for personal reasons, you thoroughly dislike, do not fail to do him full justice. Remember that your aim is the general good, not the satisfaction of an individual grudge. I am taking it for granted that you have physical courage. I need not tell you how necessary it is. Courage is more than bravery. Bravery is fearlessness, the absence of fear. The merest dolt may be brave because he lacks the mentality to appreciate his danger. He does not know enough to be afraid. Courage, however, is the firmness of spirit. That moral backbone which, while fully appreciating the danger involved, nevertheless goes on with the undertaking. Bravery is physical. Courage is mental and moral. You may be cold all over. Your hands may be tremble. Your legs may quake. Your knees be ready to give away. That is fear. If, nevertheless, you go forward. If, in spite of this physical defection, you continue to lead your men against the enemy, you have courage. The physical manifestation of fear will pass. You may never experience them but once. They are but, quote, buck fever, quote, of the hunter who tries to shoot his first deer. You must not give away to them. A number of years ago, while taking a course in demolitions, the class of which I was a member was handling dynamite. The instructor said regarding its manipulation, quote, I must caution you, gentlemen, to be careful in the use of these explosives. One man has one, but one accident. Quote. 
And so I would caution you, if you give away to fear, that will doubtless beset you in your first action. If you show the white feather, if you let your men go forward while you hunt a shell crater, you will never again have the opportunity of leading those men. Use judgment in calling on your men for displays of physical courage or bravery. Don't ask any man to go where you would not go yourself. If your common sense tells you that the place is too dangerous for you to venture into, then it's too dangerous for him. You know his life is as valuable to him as yours is to you. Occasionally, some of your men must be exposed to danger which you cannot share. A message must be taken across a fire-swept zone. You call for volunteers. If your men know you, know that you are, quote, right, you will never lack volunteers, for they will know your heart is in your work, that you are giving your country the best you have, that you would willingly carry the message yourself if you could, your example and enthusiasm will have inspired them. And lastly, if you aspire to leadership, I would urge you to study men. Get under their skins and find out what is inside. Some men are quite different from what they appear to be on the surface. Determine the workings of their mind. Much of General Robert E. Lee's success as a leader may be ascribed to his ability as a psychologist. He knew most of his opponents from West Point days, knew the workings of their minds and he believed that they would be do certain things under certain circumstances. In nearly every case, he was to anticipate their movements and block their execution. You cannot know your opponent in this war in the same way, but you can know your own men. You can study each to determine where lies to strengthen his weaknesses, which man can be relied upon to, to the last grasp, gasp and which cannot. Know your men. Know your business. Know yourself. In all literature, you will not find a better description of leadership than this. Side note, this ends Meter Box dissertation. On to what Napoleon Hill was talking about. And note, apply it to yourself or to your business or to your profession or to the place where you are employed and you will observe how much it serves as your guide. Major Box address is one, of the, one that might well be delivered to a boy or girl who graduates in high school. It might well be delivered to a college graduate. It might be well become the book of rules for every man who is placed in position of leadership over other men, no matter in what calling, business, or profession. In lesson two, you learn the value of definite chief aim. Let it be here emphasized that your aim must be active and not passive. A definite aim will never be anything else but a mere wish unless you become a person of initiative and aggressively and persistently pursue that aim until it is fulfilled. You can go nowhere without persistence, a fact which cannot be too often repeated. The difference between persistence and the lack of it is the same as the difference between wishing for a thing and positively determined to get it. To become a person of initiative, you must form the habit of aggressively and persistently following the object of your definite chief aim until you acquire it. Whether you, this requires one year or 20 years, you might as well have no definite chief aim as to have such an aim without continuous effort to achieve it. You are not making the most of this course if you do not take some step each day that brings you nearer realization of your definite chief aim. Do not fool yourself or permit yourself to be misled to believe that the object of your definite chief aim will matter. Alive if you only wait. The materialization will come through your own determination, backed by your own carefully laid plans, 
and your own initiative in putting those plans into action, or it will not come at all. One of the major requisites for leadership is the power of quick and firm decision. Analysis from more than 16,000 people disclosed the fact that leaders are always men of ready decision, even in matters of small importance, while the follower is never a person of quick decision. Hmm. This is worth remembering. The follower, in whatever walk of life you find him, is a man who seldom knows what he wants. He facilitates, he procrastinates, he actually refuses to reach a decision, even in matters of smallest importance, unless a leader induces him to do so. To know that the majority of people cannot and will not reach the decision quickly, if at all, is of great help to the leader who knows what he wants and has a plan for getting it. Here, it will be observed how closely allied are the two laws covered by Lesson 2 in this lesson. The leader only works with a definite chief aim, but he has a definite plan for attaining that object of that aim. It will be seen also that the law of self-confidence becomes an important part of the working equipment of the leader. A chief reason why the follower does not reach decision is that he lacks the self-confidence to do so. Every leader makes use of the law of definite purpose, the law of self-confidence, the law of initiative and leadership, and, and if he is an outstanding, successful leader, he makes use also of the law of imagination, enthusiasm, self-control, pleasing personality, accurate thinking, concentration, and tolerance. Without the combined use of these laws, no one can become a really great leader. Omission of a single one of these laws lessens the power of the leader proportionally. A salesman for the La Salle Extension University called on a real estate dealer in a small western town for the purpose of trying to sell the real estate agent <clears throat> man a course in salesmanship and business management. When the salesman arrived at the prospective student's offices, he found the gentleman pecking out a letter by the two-finger method on an antiquated typewriter. The salesman introduced himself then proceeded to state his business and describe the course he had to come to sell. The real estate man listened with apparent interest. After the sales talk had been completed, the salesman hesitated, waited for some signs of yes or no from his prospective client, thinking that perhaps he had not made the sales talk quite strong enough. He briefly went over the merits of the course he was selling a second time. Still, there was no response from the prospective student. The salesman then asked a direct question. You want this course, do you not? In a slow, drawing tone of voice, the real estate man replied, Well, I hardly know whether I do or not. Quoted, No doubt he was telling the truth, because he was of one of the millions of men who find it hard to reach a decision. Being able to judge a human nature, the salesman then rose, put, put on his hat, placed his literature back in his briefcase, and made ready to leave. Then they resorted to tactic which were somewhat drastic, and took the real estate man by surprise with a startling statement. Quote, I am going to take it upon myself to say something to you that you will not like, but it may be of help to you. Take a look at this office in which you work. One floor, the floor is dirty, the walls are dusty, the typewriter you are using looks as if it might be the one that Mr. Noah used in the ark during the big flood. Your pants are baggy at the knees, your collar is dirty, your face is unshaved, and you have a look in your eyes that tells me that you are defeated. Please go ahead and get mad. That's just what I want you to do. Because it may shock you into doing some thinking 
that will be helpful to you, to those who are dependent upon you. I can see in my imagination the home in which you live, several little children, none well-dressed, and perhaps none too well-fed, a mother whose dress is three seasons out of style, whose eyes carry the same look of defeat as that yours do. This little woman whom you married has stuck by you, but you have not made good in life, and she has hoped when you were first married that you would. Please remember that I am now not now talking to you as a prospective student, because I would not sell you this course at this particular moment if you were offered to pay cash in advance, because I, because <clears throat> if I did, you would not have the initiative to complete it. And we want no failures on our students list. The talk I am now giving you will make it impossible, perhaps, for me ever to sell you anything, but it is going to do something for you that has never been done before, providing it makes you think. Now, I will tell you in a very few words exactly why you are defeated, why you are pecking out letters on an old typewriter in an old dirty office in a little town. It's because you do not have the power to reach a decision all your life. You have been forming the habit of dodging the responsibility of reaching decisions until you have come now to where it well nigh impossible for you to do so. If you had told me that you wanted the course or that you did not want it, I would have sympathized with you because I would have known that the lack of funds was the cause of you to hesitate. But what did you say? Why, you admitted you did not know whether you wanted it or not. If you will think over what I have said, I am sure you will acknowledge that it has become a habit with you to dodge resp the responsibility of reaching a clear-cut decision on practically all matters that affect you, end quote. The real estate man sat glued to his chair with his underjaw dropped, his eyes bulged in astonishment, He, but he had made no attempt to answer the biting indictment. The salesman said goodbye and started for the door. After he had closed the door behind him, he again opened it walked back in with a smile on his face, took the seat in front of the astonished real estate man and explained his conduct in this way. Quote, I do not blame you at all if you feel hurt at my remarks. In fact, I sort of hope that you have been offended. But now let me say this, man to man, that I think you have the intelligence and I am sure you have ability, but you have fallen to a habit that has whipped you. No man is ever down and out until he is under the sod. You may be temporarily down, but you can get up again, and I am just a sportsman enough to give you my hand and offer you a lift, if you will accept my apologies for what I have said. You do not belong in this town. You would have started death in real estate business in, the, in this place. Even if you were a leader in your field, get yourself a new suit of clothes, even if you have to borrow the money with which to do it. Then go over to St. Louis with me, and I will introduce you to the real estate man who will give you a chance to earn some money and at the same time teach you some important things about the line of work that you can capitalize that ladder on. If you have enough credit to get the clothes you will need, I will stand good for you in the store at St. Louis where I can charge account, where I have a charge account. I am in earnest, and my offer to help of you is based upon the highest motive that can actuate a human being. I am successful in my own field, but I have not always been so. I went through just what you are now going through. <clears throat> I went through, <clears throat> but the important thing is that I went through it and I got over it. 
just as you are going to do if you will follow my advice. Will you come with me? The real estate man started to rise, but his legs wobbled and he sank back into his chair. Despite the fact that he was a gr great big fellow with a rather pronounced manly qualities, known as the, quote, he-man type, his emotions got the better of him and he actually wept. He made a second attempt and got on his feet, shook hands with the salesman, thanked him for his kindness, and said he was going to follow the advice, but he would do so in, in, in his own way. Calling for the application blank, he signed for the course of salesmanship and business management, made the first payment in nickels and dimes, and told the salesman he would hear from him again. Three years later, this real estate man had an, an organization of 60 salesmen and one of the most successful real estate businesses in the city of St. Louis. The author of this course, who was ad advertising manager of the LaSalle Extension University at the time of this incident happened, has been in this real estate man's office many times, and he observed him over a period of more than 15 years. He is an entirely different man than a person interviewed by the LaSalle salesman over 15 years ago, and the thing that made him different is the same that will make you different. It is the power of decision, which is so essential to leadership. This real estate man is now a leader in the real estate field. He is directing the efforts of other salesmen and helping them to become more efficient. This one charge in his philosophy has turned temporary defeat into success. Every new salesman who gives to work for this man is called into his private office before he's employed and told the story of his own transformation, word for word, just as it occurred when the LaSalle salesman first met him in his shabby little real estate office. Break, break. I would like to have a quick word from our sponsor. Thank you for your time. Let's get back to the reading. Some 18 years ago, the author of this course made his first trip to the little town of Lumberport, W. Of Virginia, West Virginia. At the time, the only means of transportation leading from Clarksburg, the largest nearby center, to Lumberport was the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad and the interurban electric line, which ran within three miles of the town. One could walk three miles if each so chose. <clears throat> Upon arrival at Clarksburg, I found that I only train going to Lumberport in the forenoon had already gone, and not wishing to wait for the later afternoon train, I made the trip by trolley, which the intention of walking the three miles. On the way down, the rain began to pour, and those three miles had to be navigated on foot. Through deep yellow mud, when I arrived in Lumpert, my shoes and pants were muddy and my disposition was none the better for the experience. The person I met was V.L. Horner, who was the cashier at the Lumberport Bank. In a rather loud tone of voice, I asked of him, Why do you not get that trolley line extended from the junction over to the Lumber Lumberport so your friends can get in and out of town without drowning in the mud? Did you see a river with high banks at the edge of the town as you came in? He asked. I replied that I had seen it. Well, he continued, that's the reason. We have no streetcars running into town. The cost of the bridge would be about $100,000, and that is more than the company owning the trolley line is willing to invest. We have been trying for 10 years to get them to build that line into town. Trying, I exploded. How hard have you tried? We have offered them every inducement we could afford, such as free right-of-way, 
from the junction into the town for use of the streets, but that bridge is a stumbling block. They simply will not stand the expense. Claim they cannot afford such an expense for the small amount of revenue they would receive from the three-mile extension. Then the law of the success philosophy began to come to my rescue. I asked Mr. Horner if he would talk, walk, talk a walk over to the river with me, that he might look at the spot that was causing so much inconvenience. He said he would be glad to do so. When we got to the river, I began to take inventory of everything in sight. I observed that the Baltimore Ohio Road tracks ran up and down the riverbanks on both sides of the river, that the county bridge crossed the river on the rickety wooden bridge, both approaches to which were over several strands of railroad track, as the railroad company had its switching yards at that point. While we were standing there, a freight train blocked the crossing, and several teams stopped on both sides of the train, waiting for an opportunity to get through. The train kept the road blocked for about 25 minutes. With the combination of circumstances in mind, it required but little imagination to see that three different parties were or could be interested in building a bridge such as would be needed to carry the weight of a streetcar. It was obvious that the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad Company could be interested in such a bridge because that would remove the county road from their switching tracks and save them a possible accident on the crossing. To say nothing much loss of time and expense of cutting trains to allow teams to pass. It was also obvious that the county commissioners would be interested in the bridge because it would raise the county road to a better level and make it more serviceable to the public. And of course, the street railroad company was interested in the bridge, but it did not wish to pay the entire cost. All these facts passed through my mind as I stood there watching the freight train being cut for the traffic to pass through. A definite chief aim took place in my mind, also a definite plan for its attainment. The next day, I got together with a committee of townspeople, consisting of the mayor, councilmen, and some leading citizens, and called the division superintendent of the Baltimore Ohio Railroad Company at Grafton. We convinced them that it was worth one-third of the cost of the bridge to get the county road off his company's tracks. Next, he went. we went to the county commissioners and found them to be quite enthusiastic over the possibility of getting a new bridge by only paying for one-third of it. They promised to pay their one-third, providing we could arrange for the other two-thirds. We then went to the president of the traction company that owned the trolley line at Fairmont, and they laid before him an offer to donate all the rights away and pay of the two-thirds of the cost of the bridge, providing he would begin building the line into town promptly. We found him receptive. Also, three weeks later, a contract had been signed between Baltimore and Ohio Railroad Company, the Monagal Valley Valley Traction Company and the County Commissioners of Harrison County, providing for the construction of the bridge. One third of its cost to be paid by each. Two months later, the right of way has been graded and the bridge was underway. And three months after, the streetcars were running into Lumberport on a regular schedule. This incident meant much to the town of Lumberport because it provided transportation that enabled people to get in and out of town without undue effort. It also meant a great deal to me, because it served to introduce me as one who, quote, got things done, quote, to very definite advantages resulted from this transaction. The chief counsel for the traction company gave me a position as his assistant, and later on, it was the means of an introduction which led to my appointment at the advertising manager of the LaSalle Extension University. 
Lumberport, West Virginia, was then and still a small town, and Chicago was a large city and located a considerable distance away. But news of the initiative and leadership was a way of taking on the wings and traveling. Four of the 15 laws of success were combined in the transaction described, namely a definite chief aim, self-confidence, imagination, initiative and leadership, and the law of doing more than paid for. Also entered somewhat into the transaction because I was not offered anything. In fact, did not expect pay for what I did. To be perfectly frank, I pointed myself to the job of getting the bridge built more as a sort of challenge to those who said it could not be done then and did with the expectation of getting paid for it. But by my attitude, I rather in, intimidated to Mr. Um, Horner that I could get the job done. And he was not slow to snap me up and put me to the test. It may be helpful to call attention here to the part which imagination played in this transaction. For 10 years, the townspeople of Lumberport had been trying to get a streetcar line built into the town. It must not be concluded that the town was without men of ability because that would be inaccurate. In fact, there were many men of ability in the town, but they had been making the mistake, which is so commonly made by all of us, of trying to solve their problem through one single source, whereas there are actually three sources of a solution available to them. $100,000 was too much for one company to assume for the construction of a bridge. But when the cost was distributed between three interested parties, the amount to be borne by each was more reasonable. The question might be asked, why did not some of the local townspeople think of this three-way solution? In the first place, they were so close to their problem that they failed to take a perspective, a bird's eye view of it, which would have suggested the solution. Thus, also is a common mistake and one that is always avoided by great leaders. In the second place, the townspeople had never before coordinated their effort or worked as an organized group with the sole purpose in mind of finding a way to get a streetcar line built into town. This also is another common error by men of all in all walks of life that a failure to work in unison or through a spirit of cooperation. I, being an outsider, had less difficulty in getting a cooperative action than one of their own group might have had. Too often there is a spirit of selfishness in small, in small communities which prompts each individual to think that his ideas would prevail. It is an important part of a leader's responsibility to induce people to subordinate their own ideas interests for the good of the whole. This applies to matters of civic, business, social, political, financial, or industrial nature. Success, no matter what may be conception of that term, is nearly always a question of one's ability to get others to subordinate their own individualities and follow a leader. The leader, who has the personality and the imagination to induce his followers to accept his plans and carry them out faithfully, is always able to be is, is always an able leader. The next lesson on imagination will take you still further into the art of tactful leadership. In fact, leadership and imagination are so closely allied and so essential for success that one cannot be successfully applied without the other. Initiative is the moving force that pushes the leader ahead, but the imagination is the guiding spirit that tells them which way to go. Imagination enabled the author of this course to analyze the Lumberport Bridge problem, break it up into its three component parts, and assemble these parts in a practical plant working plan. Nearly every problem may be so broken up into parts which are more easily managed as parts than they are when they are assembled as a whole. Perhaps one of the most important advantages of imagination 
is that it enables one to separate all problems into their component parts and to reassemble them in a more favorable combination. It has been said that all battles in warfare are won or lost, not on the firing line after the battle begins, but back of the lines through the sound strategy or lack of it used by the generals who plan the battles. What is true of warfare is equally true in business and most other problems which confront us through throughout life. We win or lose according to the nature of the plans we build or carry out, a fact which serves to emphasize the, the value of the laws of initiative and leadership, imagination, self-confidence, and definite chief aim. With the intelligent use of these four laws, one may build plans for any purpose whatsoever which cannot be defeated by any person or group of persons who do not employ or understand these laws. There is no escape from the truth here stated. Organized effort is effort which is directed according to a plan that has conceived with the aid of the imagination, guided by a definite chief aim, and given momentum with the initiative and self-confidence. These four laws blend into one, of the, into one and become a power in the hands of the leader. Without their aid, effective leadership is impossible. You are now ready for the lesson on imagination. Read that lesson with the thought in mind of all that has been stated, and it will take a deeper meaning. Thank you for your time today. I hope you learned as much as I did in this reading. If you ever desire to connect with me, you can email me at kb at keybravo.com. That is kb at keybravo.com. Have a wonderful day, and may you be blessed with all the success you endeavor.